Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Facing multiple investigations into his handling of the pandemic, his personal conduct, and whether he used state resources to write his COVID-19 memoir, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has come back to earth from last year when its popularity and national profile hit new highs during the early days of the pandemic. As his tax disclosure this week shows, the embattled Democrat is in line to receive more than $5 million from his COVID-19 book. Governor Cuomo spoke with the Legislative Gazette's Alan Shartok about the book American Crisis last August 19th. You got a book coming out, right? Did you get a lot of money for doing that? Well, only if you sell a lot of copies. The book, I'm excited about the book. It's called American Crisis. And... It, it uh, again, it it uses COVID sort of as a lens uh, to look at what's going on in society and my theory of government and my theory of politics and the divisions that are going on and the incompetence in government, incompetence on a federal level, by the way, incompetence on local levels and how this is going to change everything. This is going to be transformational because for the first time, In our lifetime, and we've been around a long time, government actually became relevant again. It became relevant, Alan. Think about it. Not since World War II, maybe Vietnam, when government wanted to take your child for a draft. But not since then did government affect every person's life. And even if people say, oh, politics, all a bunch of junk and government's a pain in the hiney. Yeah, not anymore. Under COVID, government became relevant. And all of a sudden, they flicked the switch and they needed the machine to work. And you know what happened? The machine didn't work. So so how much money are you getting for this book? I'm sorry to be uh, talking about the tawdry uh, stuff, but uh, are you going to make a lot? It depends on sales, obviously. I get it. What about advance? How much in the advance? Yeah, it will be in the disclosure when I do my financial disclosure, so you're going to have to wait until... Why? I don't want to wait. I don't want to I wait. Know, neither do I, but you have to wait. That's how it works. You have to uh, wait. You have to wait. Okay, so would it, be ro- would it be wrong to say you, you expect $2 million as an advance? Wait for the <laughs> disclosure. But let's get to the point. Government... Why, should for, why should we wait for the disclosure? Why not tell us right now... Uh, how much money are you going to get for the thing? Because uh, it's dependent on other issues. It's dependent on sales, dependent on who I have to pay what uh, to actually get the book done, etc. I wanted to ask you about that. So are you writing this book or is a ghostwriter writing a book? It will be in the beautiful eloquent language that you will know was unmistakably mine my fine pen 
How can you write a book now when you're you're doing so much work, incredible work, but you're there all the time in the mornings and the afternoons? You even talk to us. How can you write a book at a time like that? I wrote a book about your father. I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to do it every day. But, of course, I was up at 3 o'clock, so it didn't matter. Because I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And when you, ha- when you know what you want to say, then it's just a function of putting it on the paper. Governor Andrew Cuomo speaking with our Alan Shartok last August. Meanwhile, as the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports, the book may be more trouble than it was worth for the third-term Democrat, who is defying widespread calls to resign over sexual harassment allegations. According to the tax returns, Cuomo was paid $3.1 million for the book in 2020 and will receive another $2 million over the next two years. The memoir has come under criticism after it was revealed that Cuomo did not fully disclose the number of nursing home resident deaths during the pandemic, a matter that is under federal investigation. The state's attorney general and an assembly impeachment inquiry are also looking into allegations that Cuomo's staff helped him write and promote the book, which would be a violation of the state's public officer's law. The governor has said staff volunteered to help with the book, and he's denied that he or his aides hid nursing home death numbers. The book, which sold well initially, is now out of print due to the controversies. A Cuomo spokesperson says the governor netted $1.5 million from the book after taxes. $500,000 of his profits from the memoir he donated to the United Way of New York for COVID relief services. The rest of the money will be kept in a trust for his three daughters. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan? Word that the New York Attorney General's office, Alan, says that it is conducting a now criminal investigation into former President Donald Trump's business empire, expanding what was previously a civil probe. Attorney General Letitia James investigators are working with the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which has been conducting a criminal investigation into Trump and his company, the Trump Organization, for two years. The Manhattan DA's office, of course, Cy Vance, the DA, obtained Trump's tax records after a long legal fight in February. New tack here? Look, this is not good. And the reason it's not good is that Cy Vance's office has been working on it. Letitia James, the state attorney general, has been working on it. And, you know, what we get are these little leaks that it's turned from a civil to a criminal probe. And, yeah, maybe it's important. But you know what? Sooner or later, we're going to have to see some results here. And I think the pressure is and should be on both Letitia James and Cy Vance and saying, okay, you know, if this was a investigation going on into another kind of citizen in the United States, it would be over by now. But these slow leaks and this drip, drip, drip is not doing anybody any good. 
Now we're hearing it's turning from a civil into a criminal investigation. Give me a break. This is now a matter of their competence, and they're going to be held responsible for what they're doing. Vance is leaving office, and there have been many questions raised about whether or not, you know, he has done the job he ought to be doing where Donald Trump is concerned. Listen, David, I don't have any inside information, but I can tell you this. When you're a gazillionaire or alleged gazillionaire like Trump, you are very assiduous in making friends, talking to the Cuomo's, talking to the DA's, talking to everybody else. There is nobody, I think, that that hasn't touched. The Republicans, for their parts, are yelling, oh, you know, he's going to run again. This is all to make him stop doing that. But that's all part of the big lie. Either he did it or he didn't do it. Either he has been complicit in setting up an empire that has been fraudulent on its taxes or he hasn't. But it's time to find out, and it's time for the people in this country to know what actually happened. It's terribly important. Governor Andrew Cuomo's book, Alan, we've learned more about. He received a $3.1 million advance to write his COVID-19 leadership book last year, and he'll make another $2 million on the memoir over the next two years, a total of $5.1 million. Now, the governor donated a third of that, a half a million dollars to the United Way of New York State for its statewide COVID relief and vaccination efforts and placed the remainder in a trust for his three daughters. The issue of this book has been quite a kerfuffle, not only because of the amount of money, but then because of the allegations of staff being used to write the book. Yep. Look, it's a lot of money. I asked him about it a long time ago, and he fooled around with the answer. He laughed a little bit and the rest of it. But first we thought it was four. Now we think it's five million and more. Now remember that when this contract was signed, he was riding the waves, as we used to say on Fire Island. Then things changed. But the bidding on the book clearly was related to the idea that he was America's national hero at the time. So you can't say he should or shouldn't get that money. That's the American way. What you can say, of course, is how did you do it? Now, I doubt very much that that's going to bring him down because an awful lot of people in government and other places have done what he's done. They've written books. They've come out with things. And I'm not going to defend it, but I am going to say that's the way it is in the United States. But then the question is, was he using his governmental staff to help him do what he needed to get done? And that I don't know. I can only say it's a possibility. And if it is, it's worthy of investigation. But I doubt that we're going to see this as the thing that really brings Cuomo down. Could he get to be governor of New York? Andrew Giuliani has entered the GOP primary. Alan? David, there's an old poem that we used to recite as kids in junior high school, Hasten, Jason, Bring the Basin. And that is <laughs> and that is that a guy like this, the spawn, you know, we're not supposed to hold anybody responsible for their fathers, but of course he wouldn't be running and he wouldn't be where he is if it wasn't for the fact that he has a famous name, which he is taking advantage of. But that famous name himself is under some real scrutiny now. So, you know, it's a way of getting ahead. He hasn't run for office. He hasn't done it. He puts himself forward. He figures that Cuomo's in so much trouble that even he could win. Well, he can't. So now we've got Andrew Giuliani. It looks like Astorino, Lee Zeldin, who we saw. Remember Carl Palladino? endorsed Zeldin this week. Zeldin is the Palladino candidate. You know, he was a congressman. He wants to shoot for the moon. He's absolutely a Trumper. We know that. And he may well be the candidate. In the meantime, you get Giuliani, who is a joke, the spawn of the now disgraced helper of Trump 
putting himself up there. What else can I say except that it is a joke. The Republicans are committing political suicide all over the country one way or another, and this is just another example of how bankrupt they are. The kid has never run for political office, and he's no kid. He's in his 30s now, believe it or not. And he'll have to throw the kinds of bombs that his father throws. It's hard to believe that he could be the candidate. Alan, this week, New York opened up like it's never opened up before. It started on Wednesday. Restaurants, shops, gyms, many other businesses open. People who are vaccinated also, along with the CDC guidelines, can unmask in most situations. However, the question is New York City and people's worries that it won't come back. Number one, do you think it'll come back? And number two, are we being smart about opening up? Well, you know, I'm a conservative when it comes to this. I'm going to continue to have my mask around my neck. Look, I've taken the vaccine, and now I'm hoping that it holds. But we are seeing the New York Yankees. We're seeing other things where it turns out that you can still get sick. Oh, well, you won't die. Well, okay, I don't want to get sick, and I don't want to die like everybody else. So I'm being cautious. And I think the fact that the CDC has been inconsistent in their messaging leads me to think that we're not out of the woods yet. It does appear it's getting better, but we've seen reversals before. Let's all be very careful. Legislative Gazette political observer, Alan Shartok. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Officials gathered in the Schenectady County town of Rotterdam this week to discuss a new bill intended to provide state support for rural emergency services. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard with more. Outside Rotterdam EMS, officials unveiled a bill that would establish the New York State Rural Ambulance Services Task Force. Democratic State Assemblymember Angelo Santa Barbara of the 111th District is sponsoring the bill. The Rotterdam resident says rural ambulance and EMS services have faced declining revenues and unique challenges even before the COVID pandemic. We can't let this issue fall by the wayside, especially now when access to these critical services is more important than ever. It's critical that we seek out innovative solutions. That's what this task force is going to do. And then it's going to be our job to implement them. And this bill will allow us to move forward and take this critical step. Under the legislation, the task force would examine challenges facing EMS companies and employees. Democrat Michelle Hinchy of the largely rural 46th District is sponsoring the bill in the state Senate. We have counties that don't even have a hospital, right? And so our ambulance services and our first responders are literally the lifeline. Hinchy said ambulance companies already operate on a very slim margin. Rotterdam EMS has struggled financially in the past. Down two ambulances, the nonprofit organization received a $125,000 state grant last year to purchase a new ambulance. Dean Romano, REM's executive director, says his organization functions on a fee-for-service model. He says the company does not receive municipal funding. Most other communities do write a check 
for each of those services to help support them on, on an operational basis, on a regular basis. In the town of Rotterdam, we don't. Um, and so where you see that model, you see ambulance services going out of business. Romano said REMS hosts its own fundraising events a couple times a year. That nets us a, a, a portion of our budget, but it's a very small percentage of our budget. Another major issue facing ambulance companies is dwindling volunteers. Romano said REMS used to rely entirely on unpaid volunteers. Over time, more paid staff were brought on and things started to get more expensive. And it got to a point where the insurances that you had to have for both paid and not paid was more expensive than just going all paid, and that's what we end up doing here. And you see that in many different ambulance services, not just the insurance, but the other infrastructure that you need for both volunteers and for paid staff. So, so the number of volunteers that shrink slowly but surely, that plays a part into it. And you know, it is not easy to get paramedic certification. The legislation to create a task force to examine and make recommendations to lawmakers on ways to support emergency services comes as a nonprofit ambulance company in the region, represented by both Hinchy and Santa Barbara, is in the process of being acquired by a private entity. The Greater Amsterdam Volunteer Ambulance Corps announced on May 5th it would be renamed and acquired by Priority Ambulance. Gavick said it would be renamed Lake Valley EMS, quote, to reflect our growth in the Mohawk Valley and Adirondack Mountain region, end quote. The acquisition is pending final regulatory approval. In 2019, Gavick expanded its coverage area into Fulton County after two ambulance services there closed, the Johnstown Area Volunteer Ambulance Corps and the Ambulance Services of Fulton County. The lawmakers hope to pass the bill to establish the New York State Rural Ambulance Services Task Force before the end of the legislative session in June. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. Activists were joined online by elected officials last week for the launch of the New York State Clemency Initiative. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas explains. Freedom Unshackled Coalition's initiative to convince New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to increase granting racial and gender-diverse clemencies to four times a year began with a letter the group sent to the Democrat May 6th. Both the Albany County Legislature and the City Common Council have previously made formal declarations asking the governor to grant clemency more frequently. Ronnie Minter with Freedom Unshackled says that under Cuomo, clemency has traditionally only been granted once a year during the holiday season. Governor Cuomo actually ran on a platform that he would fix the clemency issues within the Department of Corrections and make it a smoother process. This has been a failed experiment of his. Just a little background. Governor Carey issued 155 commutations. Governor Mario Cuomo issued 37 commutations. Governor Pataki issued 32. And at the end of 2019, Governor Cuomo had only shortened 11 sentences. Minter says Cuomo could grant time commutations right now if he wanted to. And she adds there are thousands of applications on the governor's desk. Luke Grandis is the upstate lead organizer for Vocal New York. We need clemency to complement parole reform bills. We need parole reform bills to complement clemency. And we truly need the governor to take that wave of a pen power that he has and put it into action. In January, a majority of Albany County legislators signed a proclamation introduced by second-term Democrat Sam Fine 
urging Governor Cuomo to grant clemency quarterly. We have an incarceration problem in this country. We often, what we do is we respond to issues in our society by locking people up, by more policing, rather than providing people with the services they need and addressing the root causes uh, of, of crime, addressing poverty, inequality, a lack of resources. And our prison population is also disproportionately, heavily disproportionately people of color. So we have to recognize the racism within our criminal justice system, which makes it even more pressing that we, we address these issues. Fine adds money spent to keep people behind bars could instead fund health care, housing, education, and jobs. He says that would deter crime and make communities like his 6th Legislative District, which includes parts of Albany's Arbor Hill and the South End, safer. Albany Common Councilor Derek Johnson, a Democrat from the 2nd Ward, says he appreciates the attention activists are drawing to those behind bars. We have to have uh, people who are speaking up for uh, people who are incarcerated because a lot of times they they, they don't have anybody. Um, there's a lot of people that's incarcerated that don't have, um, vi- they don't get visits, they're not getting letters. And so um, these type of organizations are providing hope for them and, and, and addressing issues because it's sad that you do your time, you feel like you paid your um, your, your um your debt for your crime and you get out here and you find out you can't move where you want to move. You can't um, do things that other people are doing, voting um, and and just um, living the the quality of life that you may have worked yourself up to be able to do. A Cuomo spokesman did not immediately respond to a request for comment. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. As communities near the U.S. Canada border brace for its closure to be extended another month, business and tourism officials are intensifying calls for a plan to reopen the international frontier. A New York state assemblyman is offering an idea that regional officials hope will help alleviate some of the negative impacts of the closure, which has stretched for more than a year. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley reports. In March 2020, the U.S.-Canada border closed, extended monthly since. Only essential travelers, such as truck drivers and medical personnel, have been allowed to cross. Gary Douglas with the North Country Chamber says those on the U.S. side continue to be perplexed by those, especially in the highest levels in Canadian government, who are reticent to craft a reopening plan. We've got to keep repeating this important message that it is past time to plan. Let's start the planning. We have been putting out there for many months um, asking for at least a serious binational consideration of some modest but important adjustments to the existing definitions of essential and for some additional support for business people. 
Douglas said there is one word that should be at the forefront of building a flexible border reopening plan, vaccination. We need to get both countries to the point where those vaccination numbers are higher than they are now. We're doing well in the U.S., we're doing well in New York, but it still needs to be higher on the other side of the border. They're way behind us. To try to rectify the cross-border stalemate, Democratic State Assemblyman D. Billy Jones of the 115th District wants to implement a plan that is being successfully undertaken in other border states. There are other states right now, um, North Dakota, uh, one in particular, Michigan, that are taking steps to help get essential workers and essential travelers into the United States vaccinated from Canada. CDC has already said that this is allowable to vaccinate essential workers from Canada. We can do it. We have the supply now. We've done an excellent job here in the North Country and in New York State as a whole in getting that vaccination uh, rollout. I'm calling on New York State to give us permission to get essential workers from Canada vaccinated here. Logistically, the plan from Douglas and Jones would initially target Canadian truckers for vaccinations. You need to catch this where the trucks are moving. So it's going to have to be somewhere in I-87 in western New York, probably at the Peace Bridge, uh, maybe in the St. Lawrence area if we get this going, uh, maybe at Alex Bay, uh, the places where the large volumes of trucks are moving and don't have to get off the highway and go some long distance to, to stop and do, otherwise they won't do it. We want to get permission from New York State to do this. And we are coming up with some very good concrete plans. We've initially talked to the state. I have written letters. I, we have talked to DOH, and it's going to be hard for them to say no on this. We want to start out with the, the truck drivers, the, the essential workers, but we can go beyond essential workers and get into essential travelers as well. So who are the essential travelers? Plattsburgh RV park owner Neil Fassett has seen a drop of 75% of his seasonal Canadian visitation. I fully agree that there's a, a need for a plan to get this border opened. I am a big advocate for also considering vaccinating our friends from Canada here in Plattsburgh. They're essential. They're essential to our economy. And we feel as though for campgrounds, property owners, people that have second homes, and the marinas, those are all situations where you can easily social distance. There's a lot of space. We feel as though there's a very safe way to allow these essential travelers back into the United States. You know, the border, frankly, it just cannot open soon enough. A request for information from the New York Department of Health on current protocols for vaccinating essential Canadian travelers in New York State was not returned. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2121. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at the same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.